Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Hey, thanks for your giving. So grateful to you guys for everything. So, so grateful. Love this community so much. And uh, I'm really excited about all the things God's doing in your life. Um, not so, you know, it's interesting. Just a side note, it, I think I'm more excited by what God's doing in individual lives more than I am the population growth or the program growth of our church. I, I'm excited about those things, but for me, the, the object of loving people is seen not in a corporate expression, but when I get to see the unpacking of what God's doing in an individual's life. And I love to see it take place on a larger note where many people are a part of an expression together of breakthrough and growth. But you're really inspired when you see Jesus doing a work in an individual's life, right? Freedom, breakthrough, growth in an individual is so exciting. It's so Jesus and it's so amazing. So I encourage you to allow God to do this in your life and to be a part of somebody else's life in this growth and freedom and breakthrough. Sweet. Okay, I'm going to be talking about something today. Called, uh, I kind of labeled it secure. So we're going to be talking about what it looks like to find our security in God uh, as opposed to or alternative to our security in other things. So this is the premise, but I kind of wanted to just give a little insight as to how I approach my sermons. Uh, it's, an, uh, it's an interesting thing perhaps to you, but maybe not at all. But maybe you could relate it to your life as well. And so sometimes sermons are birthed or built in an experience with somebody and or a problem with somebody, whether it be in their life or relationally, and then it sparks me into a research in the Bible and I grow in the principle of the word as it relates to that life situation. So life motivates study of the word and a deepening of biblical understanding and a growth in spiritual principles. That's one version of how a sermon gets built, so it's always teaching word, but sometimes it comes from having a, a real problem or a riddle to solve in life and then having to go and find the answers in the word. So that's one version of how a sermon is built, and the other version is I'm meditating on God's word uh, in a, co- a completely clean spot. I don't have any issues I'm bringing to the table, and I'm just reading it, and I'm learning about him, and then an idea is sparked or revelation is sparked from what I'm reading, and then that can also spark a sermon or a teaching. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because my goal here is always to create those uh, a community that can grow with Jesus. Uh, so it would be really poor leadership on my part if I create a community that only knows how to grow through the medium or the communication of me, the, the pastor or the shepherd on Sundays. See, there's nothing wrong with this shepherding or this teaching or this pastoring, but uh, your foremost teacher of your life needs to be the Holy Spirit. It needs to be Jesus, and there's a reason it needs to be this, is because it's the daily journey. It's the daily voice, and it's the very specific daily voice in a way that is specific to your life. And so a, a, a generalized sermon that even if you listen to a sermon a day, from some pastor somewhere that does a good job edifying something, 
It, it may not be uh, as accurate to your life as what the Holy Spirit will preach to you that day or teach to you that day. And so you want to be able to experience the principles of Jesus as it relates to your daily life. Be transformed in your daily life and become like God in your daily life. And this is achieved through the Holy Spirit being your teacher. And this is why, uh, we, why I'm telling you about this way I approach sermons is because I think you could possibly give a good insight to our life. Like when you're, when you're being confronted with issues and problems in your life, learn to study the Word in an antidote way to your life. So do word searches, things like that. Sometimes people are just like, hey, I just open the Bible and wherever it opens to, that's what God wanted me to say that day or God wanted to say to me that day. And that kind of like spontaneous, randomized partnership in the word, it's not terrible, uh, but it's also not that potent to dismantling problems and riddles daily. Uh, the randomization of the word and the study of the word, I'd encourage you to go more accurate to, like for example, today I'm talking about secure. So do word searches on what the Bible says about what it means to be secure, what it means, what it talks about with insecurity, and then some of the kind of associative words that go off from there. Really study the word in a way that is applicable to your daily life. So if you're riddled with an addiction to lust or substance, what's the word say about it? What insight does it give you? If you're riddled with fear in some way, what's the word say and how do you access those things? So when we're talking about secure or what it means to be secure, we have built in equations to our life. We're going to jump into the word here in a moment. But we have built in equations to our life uh, that are our versions of how we feel secure. For some of us, our equation of security comes from our circumstances. For some of us, our equation of security are people. And so if our circumstances are good and it's like, hey, things are going smooth, we feel real secure and we feel real confident. And for some of us, if everyone loves us that day, we feel super secure. We're like, dude, everyone loved me today, or at least said they did, so I feel really stable today. And these two equations, and there's many more that we can always split it off to, but these two equations I want to talk about today because the alternative to these things is finding our security in God. And this can sound very fortune cookie, cliche Christianity, right? hey, on Sundays we coach having security in God, but then Monday morning hits and i got some real stuff to take care of. But what I'm going to try and teach is finding security in God in a way that is applicable to your daily life. So we're not going about our life not understanding how to remain secure in God while also being problem solvers in that place of security. And when we take a look at it, I want to bring you to Psalms 20. David is a really good, I think to me, symbol and character of a person that had quite a bit of responsibilities. So you're talking about a king, you're talking about a warrior, you're talking about somebody who has the responsibility of governing, uh, has financial, business, prosperity, things to manage, a family to manage, a big one, uh, wives to manage, many. And you're talking about somebody who has a lot of daily pressure and responsibility. I may say that he has more than any of us in this room. He's a king of an entire nation with all of those responsibilities. And yet we can see an insight to how David relates to his circumstances and how David relates to these things is, I think, a really good insight to even if we are extremely responsible for high-level things, Monday through Saturday and even on Sunday, how we actually find our stability or our security in God, 
even while we have all of those pressures, mandates, and that weight to carry in leadership or responsibility. And I don't like painting a picture of relationship with God that doesn't help me grow in fathering, that doesn't help me grow in leadership, because I believe that when you actually find yourself walking with God, living in God, it grows you as a father, it grows you as a businessman, it grows you as a leader. James is clear, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it to you. So being in relationship with God, finding your security in God is not an emotional comfort alone. It's actually going to lead you to wisdom and understanding that you didn't currently possess. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? Okay, let's, let's read the word on this. Psalm 20, 1 through 4. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. And if you don't know what Selah means, think on this. Wait, pause, think. Reflect on this. Verse four, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Now I know, and this is verse six, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Okay, so there's a really interesting thing being taught here by somebody that has high level demand on their life, that has high level pressures on their life. And what he's teaching is that in a time of need, rather than looking to the resource and the might of chariots and horses, we're going to choose to look to the Lord. So David is teaching that rather than finding security and resource, he's teaching us how to have the mindset to find security in God. So this moves away really quickly from some kind of sentimental spiritual hug while your life is falling apart to actual partnership with God for there to be a breakthrough in your circumstance and situation. But we cannot allow situations or circumstances to create our security. Because whenever circumstances create our security, then when circumstances fall apart, then we have no peace. The Bible says that God will give us a peace that surpasses understanding. So if your peace can only be obtained through understanding, then you don't have the peace of God. You have the peace of man. So this is really important because when peace surpasses understanding, it means that you're able to access a state of peace even when your mind can't comprehend. Here's what's fun about being in relationship with God and living in God is that when you choose to be secure in God, live in God, then it actually brings you to a place that's beyond your understanding. So peace allows you to go beyond your understanding. So follow God's peace and you'll grow in understanding. So if his peace surpasses understanding, not only is it the promise that you can feel at rest and at peace when you can't understand what's happening, but it's also a promise to help you navigate beyond your boundary of understanding. How fun is that? If you're like, okay, I've hit problems and circumstances in my life that I don't understand how to solve them. God's given you a promise that his peace is beyond it. So go, go to his peace. So Jesus says, peace I give you, not like this world, right? 
So go to his peace, inherit and receive his peace, say yes to it, choose to live in that peace, to live in God. John 15 says, abide in me and I in you. So choose to live in his peace and actually it's going to be the very act of leadership where God's going to lead you beyond your understanding. How fun is that? Have you ever had peace but you didn't get it? I find this to be one of the most amazing supernatural elements of relationship with God, but sometimes we don't actually go to the fullest of what this can do. And that when you follow God's peace and you're like, I don't even understand why I feel good about this. Sometimes we don't actually go, okay, God, what is this understanding that I'm in right now? Because it's beyond my understanding. So what is this understanding that peace has led me to? So my family's falling apart. Why am I at peace? I have business, I have business issues all over the place. Why am I at peace? The economy is like, whoopsie, whoopsie, whoopsie. Why am I at peace? Why am I at peace? Is this, what I ask a lot of times is, hey, God, is this complacency? Am I at peace? Not because I'm actually in wisdom and understanding, but I'm just at peace because I'm like, hey, it's all good. And I can't see anything and I'm blind and I'm ignorant to everything and I'm naive. See, no, that's not what it means to have peace with God. What it means to have peace with God means that we are elevating our understanding to God's understanding. And we access greater understanding through the doorway of God's peace. Okay, so psychologically, I can prove this to you. So you may or may not know this, but fear in psychology, it's so clear, and they say it all the time, but fear clouds your mind. If you study the effect fear has on your mind, it's profound. And so they know that fear actually clouds your mind. It makes it really hard for you when you're in fear to see the basic simple solutions that are available when you're in fear. So the peace of God surpasses understanding. So once you're able to access the no fear zone with God, then you're able to see understanding that God has of your situation, thus access wisdom that was evasive to you before you got rid of the fear. You guys like that? Okay, so here's what we have to understand is that security in God is extremely hard to achieve, nay, impossible if you don't decline the current securities you find in things that aren't God. Okay, so Psalms 18.33, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. So God, in order for him to set you in his security, is going to have to remove you from your former securities. And you might be really into your former securities. You might be like really into them. They might be your besties. They may have provided for you up till now. They they, They perhaps may have been your protector up till now. And you might say things like, hey, listen, my fear has helped me a lot. My fear of failure has caused me to succeed in the following ways. And I'll say to you is that you have made your master fear. And as long as your master is fear, as long as your foundation is fear, you're not going to be able to apprehend uh, peace, joy, foundational and eternal security. 
that the methodology, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it will lead to death. There is a way that you could be like, hey, this is actually provided for me. My disdain of people that are not safe has kept me safe. My unforgiveness has actually taught me how not to entrust myself again to stupid people. Thus, I don't have stupid things happen to me by stupid people. And you could be like, hey, I've found security and stability in not being friends with anyone. I found security and stability in isolation and independence. Here's how not to get hurt. Never spend time with anyone. Right? And so we're like, hey, I've found stability in this way. But I'm going to come out right away and tell you that any security you find in anything that isn't of God will produce ungodliness. Let me prove it to you in a little bit of a way here. John 12, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, many even of his authorities believed in him. Even of the authorities believed in him. This is of Jesus talking about. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of that synagogue. Check this out. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wow. This is profound. So right here, it's an illustration that they feel secure in the synagogue in the glory of man, it's a place of security. It's a place of confidence. It's a place of protection. It's a place of comfort, this security. And they liked it more than they did the cost of finding security in a confession of Jesus. So we have this fear of rejection that becomes a profound false prophet to your life. Becomes a profound misleader anti-shepherd of God tendencies, fear is going to guide you and protect you, but require of you your soul and your life. So when we subscribe to fear as our Lord, the determinant of our behavior, the determinant of our behavior and Savior, the one that will rescue us when we are in a time of need, fear protects me, fear guides me, it provides for me, Jehovah fear, right? Like we start to, uh, you got to understand, like we don't say no to God by typically as Christians saying, no, God, I don't want your way. Typically we say no to God by saying yes to something that isn't God. That's the Christian way. We're not like, no, God, I defy you, God. No. Typically as a Christian, we're just like, yeah, no, I actually, yeah, fear of failure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Fear of rejection, people pleasing, that just makes sense. I want everyone to love me all the time. Fear of pain and punishment, man, I just, that's kept me in line, you know? Like my leaders and my human lords, they make up rules for me and I don't break those rules because it keeps me safe. I don't want to get punished, man. I don't have good things removed from me. And sometimes we actually relate to God in these same ways. We start to create an image of God that if we don't walk with God, God's going to reject us. That if we don't walk with God, He's going to cause us to fail. That if we don't walk with God, he's going to punish us and give us pain. And we really got to work on this journey with God. Like, do you see God as a vindictive father 
that if you don't do right, he's going to cast down lightning and thunder on your life. He's going to send the plagues on your life. A lot of times we relate to God in these ways because these are our broken versions of how we do life. We found security in these motivations. We found comfort in these motivations. They've been the things to hold security for us. But then as you spend time in life and longer and longer you spend in these securities, these false securities, you actually begin to realize they come at a tremendous consequence. They come at a tremendous cost. That when you fear failure, you will destroy people to succeed. And you're like, I don't understand why I don't love people well. So what? I want to win at any cost. Is that so bad? Well, I can just tell you right now, we don't have to label it good or bad. If that scares you, but what we can say is it won't produce godliness. If it's more important for you to be a member in the synagogue that doesn't confess Jesus and have the acceptance of people that don't confess Jesus, if that's more important to you than walking with Jesus, then you're going to decline relationship with Jesus. It's a challenge, right? And so we see it's like, okay, Psalm 42, David says this. He goes, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Okay, so in relationship with God, I think we must understand that when he seeks to make us secure on his rock, it actually requires a deliverance from wherever we're standing. He took me from that miry bog. He snatched me up from that place. He moved me. He changed my location. He shifted my dynamic. Everything that I knew, he removed me from it. So if your security comes in a mastery of your environment and a control of your environment, you're in for an exciting journey with Jesus. Because he's going to lead you in places where you don't have control, where you don't have a mastery of your environment. And so your environment could be straight chaos. But like David said, you know, in Psalm uh, 20, like he said in there, he goes, hey, who do we look to? Who do we look to when we're in these places? We look to the Lord. And this is a daily lifestyle thing. Like this is important for us to understand. This isn't just God hugging us and making us feel good while our lives are falling apart. Like, right, God's not just trying to comfort us unto a complete and abject failure and complete and abject falling apart of our life. God is trying to bring a peace so that there can be a wisdom growth. Any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it to us. But if you're riddled with fear, you're going to kick into tendencies that are not going to produce godliness. You think about the fight and the flight tendencies when you're in fear. I remember, and I want to I say this one thing. I was, uh, this, so I woke up the other morning uh, to my daughter Monroe. She's three years old. And she was, you know, in, the, in our room. And I woke up to her talking to Presley, our five-year-old. And she said this statement. said, what I woke up to. She goes, you are the worst, 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 worst sister I was like, like, and I had to keep my face the other way because the way she said it made me laugh, you know? 
But then I was talking to Jess about it later. I was like, yeah, she said this thing that was wild, you know? She was so strong about her feelings on it, you know? And she used the worst adjective many times in a row. And I was like, but, and she goes, oh yeah, well, the other day she would tell, she told Presley that you are not my sister. So she just declined a biological fact, you know? Her anger led her to do that. And I thought it was really interesting. I did a very pastor thing where I was like, oh, isn't that so much like us? You know, that we, in our anger, we decline reality because we can't cope with it. Like, you know, my sister couldn't do that. You are not my sister, you know? And we kick into these places of denial of truth because we're more secure. We feel safer in falsehood. And this, the, the power of denial in our life, it is, it is a great comfort. How many of you have been in denial about your life before? I have. Maybe this last week at some point. I'm a positive person. You know, I'm a choleric, sanguine in temperament. So I like forward and fun. Like that's the best way to put it, right? I like forward and fun. So when somebody's like, hey, let's camp, let's camp out here at this sad, painful place. I'm like, that's not forward and fun. I don't know if you know, but the description of my life is forward and fun. Two Fs, baby, let's go. Forward and fun, you know? And so my personality, it just absolutely sometimes is not a big fan of that current truth of reality. And I know it's there, but maybe if I move and I go somewhere else, it will be real just over there, you know? So it's kind of like a loophole of denial. You and I, we can operate in denial because it's too difficult to cope with truth. It's too difficult. We don't have... a mechanism for this. Our security is disrupted entirely whenever we recognize and we see this truth. So what I would encourage you to do is rather than utilizing some false comfort when it comes to your life, is that you in boldness and courage in the grace of God, you address the truth of your life. You address it. If I'm trying to coach, if I'm trying to illustrate, if I'm trying to provoke us having security in God, I think it's going to be more important for me to not necessarily just tell you what's the wrong security to have, a security in circumstances and in people pleasing and such, but but perhaps to spend the rest of this time painting a picture of what that language looks like to find security in God. I believe some of the best language that I've found for my life in finding security in God is in John 15. 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to highlight certain elements of this. And and the phrase I think is so important to recognize. The picture and the language, the physical space it defines is abide in me and I in you. And this is in verse four. It starts here. Abide in me and I in you. And before I start reading this scripture element here is I, I want us to see it and really understand it like this. So we're actually visual people. Did you know this, that your brain thinks in images, not words? And it's why I could actually, uh, you can think of like, you, it takes so many words to try and describe a simple emotion state. Have you ever known this before? So it's because your brain thinks in images. It's how the, the actual brain works. And so you, a picture is like a thousand words. That's why sometimes it takes a three hour ser- therapy session to just describe one thought you had, you know? And it's because it was an image, you know? And, and you're trying to describe this image and you realize sometimes you're fumbling around on it. You're not doing good on it or your uh, emotional quotient is just not high enough yet, you're still growing in how to talk about how you feel, uh, recognizing that you even feel, let alone telling others accurately how you feel. 
So when I say abide in me, what I'm trying to illustrate is a language and a picture of physical and spiritual in God. Residency in God. So how does it look to have your life in God? To have your faith in God? To have your prayers in God? To have your hope in God? Think of it like an actual space, like a a geographical space that it's in God. Because this is actually what John 15 is saying, is abide in me and I in you. So it's actually teaching us right right away. Rather than gathering your confidence from the things happening around you, look to the God that lives inside of you. That simple adjustment should allow you to not only, because a lot of times introspection leads us to just look at all of our faults. We're like, I've introspected a lot. I have my master's in self-introspection. Trust me, I know all the ways I stink. Trust me, I know all the ways I fail. So a lot of people, a lot of times people think meditation and introspection is just about them thinking about themselves apart from God. But really, I want to invite you to adjust your meditation with God. Meditate on his word day and night. I want to invite you to adjust it to thinking about the God that lives inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you guys tracking with me right now? We have to stop seeing him as something out there that I'm trying to get at if I do all the right things. Oh, come on, that's so so fun, you know? Like, I'll get to live with God one day when I'm perfect. Kick that thing in the teeth, man. Conditions. Whatever conditions you've put on your reality or your ability to live in God, confront those conditions. At the end of this thing here, we're going to see that it says, hey, abide in my love. If you understand this correctly, you know that God's love is perfect and it's unconditional. So residency can be achieved not through striving, performance, and doing everything right, but through a surrender and a choice to live in Him above any other choice. Abide in me and I in you. And this is verse 4, 15.4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What a fun reality. So if you're like, hey, look, my last five years has um, amounted to, what's the word? Nothing. It might be incredibly depressing and discouraging. That might be one mindset you have. But I actually think it can be inspiring. Because it actually tells us that it will amount to nothing if you don't live with it. So perhaps if you can kick into, yeah, there is, there is ample evidence that without Christ, it feels very empty. Thus, I'm going to make it the commitment of my every day to live in Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts us. He doesn't condemn us or shame us. So oftentimes at the end of my day, my thought process is, did I live in God today? And if the answer is absolutely no, I was 0 for 55 today. 
For some of us, that could be incredibly discouraging. For some of us, based on our equations of fear of failure, fear of rejection, we start downward spiraling into this fear toilet. But I encourage you to decline that methodology, that mindset, to say yes to a mindset of love in God, which does call us to repentance. So today, God, I didn't live in you. I didn't express my being from you. I didn't love like you. I didn't even want to live in love today. Okay, daily prayer time. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. You could just you could just feel the power of God rest on your life in that moment. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Which gives an insight to me on what Jesus wants to do in my life. He wants to free me. So if that day I got captured by hate, unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of pain and punishment, if I got captured by those things, it is the delight of God to deliver me from those things. It isn't driven by he's disappointed in us, so he wants to get us back so he can stop being disappointed in us. It is because for God so loved the world, loved the world, that he gave his only son. You know the rest of John 3.16. So the motivation of God in your failure for the day to live in him is not to shame you or to condemn you. Conviction comes so there can be a recovery of residency. Because it is, it, in the, it is in the heart of God to live in you and for you to live in him. That's why he stands at the door and knocks. He wants to come in. He wants residency. He wants house intimacy. And house intimacy is different than like corporate church gathering intimacy. It is. Home groups used to intimidate me when I first got here and they did home groups because it was just different than talking to like hundreds of people or thousands of people. It was like your socks are showing. You're sitting on a couch and if you're wearing shorts, you're not really sure how to sit. It's just so awkward sometimes because there's these, there's these dead quiet spaces. There's no music. There's, there's no like, isn't church amazing? Jump, 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 jump. Jump, jump, high energy now, guys. Come on now, high energy now. Everybody's got to feel real positive coming out of this place. Energy jolt, energy jolt, energy jolt. <laughs> and you're like, you're walking out like, oh, 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 I feel real good right now. And you're just like going for it, you know? You feel like you're at a football game or something. You're like, yeah, that was awesome. I got a jolt of emotional sensationalism. And you go to a home group and it's like, hey, guys. You're like, this is too quiet. <laughs> can we get some background noise, some music maybe, something going on? Maybe can we dance? Can we shout? But there's this intimacy of residency that takes place and Jesus, so this is the answer. This is the answer to us not finding security in other things. So we decline them and we find residency in God. We choose to live in God. And anything that makes us feel secure that isn't God, we decline that rest. We decline it, which might mean that in between your place of bondage, Egypt, and your place of promised rest, promised land, you might have an in-between space of desert. And that is profoundly uncomfortable. 
profoundly. You don't have resource like you want to have. Here's what's interesting. The desert had less resource than Egypt, the land of bondage. In Egypt, it was said they had buckets of meat. In the desert, they only had enough for a day. So you might be like, this is not God because I have less than when I was in bondage. So the promised land is filled with milk and honey and all kinds of amazing resource. But in between that space is the space of bear. It's the space of not much. It's the space of the narrow, trusting God space. Looking to God when you don't have chariots and horses in ample amounts. So every single day, what do we do in our budget? Do we, do we count the pennies and the dimes and then we, we feel secure that if we have enough pennies and dimes? Or does our security come in that we are fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith? Does our security come in that I'm living in God and he's going to give me wisdom that even if I lack, he's going to supply. He's going to teach me. He's going to grow me. He's going to grow us. Whatever lack I have, God will supply. He will grow me. He will teach me. I trust him that whatever that deficit is, wherever God's leading me, there's going to be a deficit between where I'm at and where I need to be for me to be successful in that space. That's the exciting part about God is he brings us into spaces where we aren't enough in our current form. And that in order for us to truly succeed in that space, it's going to require a supernatural transformation of our life, a supernatural increase of our life. And how exciting is that, that that's the promise of God? To be renewed in our mind, to be transformed, and we may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. Romans 12, 2 is my favorite scripture. Because transformation by God actually gives us the behavior that proves what God's will is. How fun is that? I just get overjoyed at this, this notion, this idea of how God works in our life. And I even think sometimes about the baptism uh, exercise that we have in community. So it becomes this like front door salvation kind of partnership we have with people. We have like, like five or six people get baptized today. And if you want to get baptized, you can. We've got shirts, you can throw it on. Who likes driving home in wet clothes? It's really fun. Well, this is what we have is we have this, we have this exercise, which is the, the old man dies, new man rises. So my security is not in those strengths of the old man, but now I'm saying yes to the strengths of the new man found in God. And once you really start looking at your life, you might actually realize that there's a whole lot of weapons of warfare that your old man had that you don't get to wield with your new man. The weapons of gossip, the weapons of unforgiveness, the weapons of hate, the weapons of greed, the weapons of fear of failure. Man, that has led me to succeed in a lot of things. I was as good at basketball as I was because I was driven by a fear of failure. I remember at one point I was unpacking this thing and then we're going we're gonna to baptize some folks. I, I remember one time, and I think I've told you this story before, but I was, um, I was playing basketball and I had gotten over my competitiveness that, that told me I had to win, right? So I got over that. I could lose and still be happy, even though I had been taught not to be happy if I lost, you know? And so I could lose and still be like, hey, I'm still a person. I'm still valuable, you know? And then I, once I got over that, I was like, dude, I'm doing so good, God. And then I started to realize this other trend in me, which is if somebody challenged me, if somebody talked trash to me, 
and started to challenge me, I would lose it. I'd flip a switch. And so one day, this guy fouled me, but he didn't think he fouled me, right? I called a foul. He fouled me. I thought he fouled me. He's like, I didn't foul you. He starts talking trash to me, right? It's like, oh, that's weak sauce, all this stuff. My mind goes click, click, click. I'm not a pastor or Christian anymore. This is like 11 years ago. I am an assassin. That person must be destroyed. That person must know how amazing and valuable I am. And the way to show that is to destroy them. So the end of the, t- the, end of the game had him bleeding from his nose. and elbowed him in the face. And, and guys, that part of my flesh, that was the best thing to do. My security came in that I was better than people around me. It made me feel at rest, made me feel at peace. So that equation for security led me to rationally almost break someone's nose and not even feel bad about it. That's what actually scared me and tipped me off that I had a problem. I was like, oh, I have a problem. I'm not even feeling bad about this. And I spent like a year and a half unpacking it with God. A year and a half. Turns out I had to dismantle major parts of my foundation and feel really insecure. I was like, I'm not going to be excellent if I don't have a drive to be better than everyone. My source of excellence came in my, my sense or my aspiration for superiority. All of my drives for growth came from me wanting to be better than everyone else. This is diabolical. This is comparative-based Christianity, which is the antithesis. It doesn't allow you to love people well. Because how could you really think of someone as better than yourself if you need to be better than them for you to feel secure? It's impossible to love somebody if you have a competitive foundation of your life. And definitely not loving them like Jesus. Jesus was way better than us. And he had to die for us. That's stupid. If you're a competitor, you're like, that's dumb. They don't deserve to be on the team. And they definitely don't deserve my spot on earth. Better that I live. I'm perfect. They're dumb. And they should die. Like if Jesus followed the path of a fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of pain and punishment, he would never have died for our sins. He would never have died for our sins. And so, you know, in this time, we're going to baptize folks. And you know, we always love to pray for people beforehand and prophesy into their life, partner with the narrative of what God's doing. Some of them might need to get changed. Yeah, that's a pragmatic for sure. Yeah. If you need to get changed, you can change and then come on back. If you don't need to get changed, you're already changed. Uh, you anticipated this thing here, then you can come forward. Uh, and if you can stand with me, we're actually going to baptize some folks at this point. It's 1233. I got to wrap this up. Yeah. Come on, if you can stand with me at this time. We're going to button this thing up for us as a community and for those that are getting baptized. Oh, dude. Such a fun time. Here's what I want to encourage you in. We said a lot today. We preached a lot. We taught a lot today. What I want to invite you to is a commitment to Jesus. If you're getting baptized or if you're thinking about getting baptized right here on the spot, 
the yes and the commitment of salvation is very similar to the commitment of transformation. It's a yes to Jesus. Jesus is the same one who saves us, is the same one who transforms us. So your yes to salvation should also be a yes to transformation, to being like him, to leaving your old ways and your old man and all those securities. And so right now at this time, if you are getting baptized, we want you to come to the front here. and We're going to have some of our prayer folks and team pray with you, partner with you. We just love, love, love this part of your journey. We want to partner well in it. For those of you that are in this place, I'm going to have you stretch your hands and pray at some point for those that are getting baptized. And you can even join them up here if you're a family or a friend. You can come pray for them if you're a family or friend. But for those of us in this community that you heard the words I'm saying and you heard the words I was preaching or teaching, and you want to you firmly commit to finding your security in Jesus and in nothing else. I want you to take your hands, I want you to place them on your heart or perhaps even on your mind because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. David shows us real clearly that when Jesus does this thing and he puts us in a security in him, he removes us from our location. So I believe it's important to explicitly ask community, do you want to be removed from your current land of security by God and be brought to a place of security in God. If that's you today, I just want you to lift your hands or place your hands on your heart or mind or something of partnership physically with me. So if that's you today and you want to be in that place, you want to say yes in your commitment to those things, then I encourage you to lift your hands, put your hands on your heart. And God, we don't know all of the ways we're going to have to do this, but we trust you, Jesus. We trust you, Jesus, and we say, remove us from our miry bog. Remove us from our current place of security, God, and place us in you. We say yes to you. The word says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. So if you don't know any other thing I said, or you maybe lost a lot of it, or you won't remember some of it, I encourage you today to commit to this journey of living in his love. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.